Hello and welcome everyone to Feminist Focus. My name is Laura and I'm so glad that you are listening today, that you're joining us for this second episode of the show. And um, it's not only the second episode, it's also basically the second attempt. Because the last time that I tried this, um, it did not really work. I'm very sorry about that. Um, so in case you tuned in last time and uh, there was no audio, uh, there is a reason for that and the reason is my incompetence. I managed to fix it in the meantime and I do very much hope that the broadcast is now working properly. Um, and I'm very excited for the fact that uh, today we have a special episode because today we have a guest. But before we get into that, let me very briefly rehash the show concept and how we choose the songs, because that is something that I talked about um, during the previous broadcast. And of course, you could not hear that because I was not audible. So regarding the show concept, um, Feminist Focus is a show that deals with uh, a variety of feminist topics. It's a fortnightly show, so you can listen to the show every second Thursday from 4pm to 5pm. And there is always one overarching topic that we will be discussing. So the goal of the show is to, to really get deeply into one specific topic and not to cover, you know, several current issues, for example, um, at the same time. And the songs that we're going to play... They are almost always songs by female artists, of course, with the exception that a male artist covers a topic that is explicitly feminist, then we would also play um, songs by male artists. And today, actually, our guest also provided two songs. So today we will be playing two songs that I chose, and we will be playing two songs that our guest chose. So last time, during the last broadcast, we talked about the topic of consent, um, which as I said, you unfortunately could not hear, but I will definitely redo the episode sometime towards the end of the academic year, um, because I do believe that I have quite a lot to say about this topic, and I think it would be very interesting to, to enter into a conversation with you about that eventually. Our topic today is very different, and our topic today is also a topic that I am not that much of an expert about, which is the reason why I invited my guest. Today we will be discussing feminist foreign policy. Don't worry, it's not a problem if you don't know what this is. Um, that is why we are starting at the very beginning and we're going to very you know, extensively explain to you what feminist foreign policy actually entails. And, and that is the task of my guest. So before I introduce my guest to you, or rather before my uh, guest introduces himself to you, um, I briefly want to explain, um, my guest is male, and I do understand that for a show with an explicit feminist focus, um, that is probably rather surprising. I will have many female guests in the future, do not worry about that. Um, the reason why I chose this particular guest is because of the fact that he has a very close connection to both London, because he studies here as well, and to me, because he is one of my closest friends back from home in Germany. And simultaneously, he is also an expert on the subject of feminist foreign policy. And I do suppose that this combination is rather rare. So uh, that is basically the reason why I chose him, despite the fact um, that he is male. 
So, to actually include him in the conversation, hello and welcome, Yanis. Um, I'm so glad to have you here. How are you doing? How are you today? Hi, um, I'm very glad to be here, first of all, and um, I'm doing okay. I mean, I think that's probably the best you can get in these unprecedented circumstances, but um, I'm going uh, back to Germany tomorrow um, for Christmas, and I'm really looking forward to that, so that's... Um, the very bright side that I'm looking forward to today. Oh, that sounds very exciting. I'm, I'm very happy for you. I'm going back next week. Um, I suppose this is the general mood that everyone is in right now. Um, this, like, you know, weird status between you're still here, but you're also kind of going back. Everything is a little uncertain. But yeah, I'm sure we will all be fine to the extent that we can be in the current circumstances. So, Janis, um, as I already said, um, I'm so excited and happy to have you here today. Um, and it would be nice if you could briefly introduce yourself for our listeners. Firstly, try and do this without explicit reference to our today's topic. You will have enough time to explain what our today's topic is about and what you have to do with it. But first of all, just introduce yourself generally so that the audience can get to know you as a person. Yes, um, so I'm Janis, I'm studying International Conflict Studies um, at King's College here in London and um, I studied sociology, politics and economics before. Um, I'm from the northern part of, of Germany and um, I'll probably want to spoil something um, before we get into the talk about feminist foreign policy that I um, do uh, identify as feminist and um, I think that that's also very important um, when, when 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 male people talk about about feminism. That um, this contribution or this this identification is actually um, voiced. Um, I think that that's a key part. Oh, definitely. I'm very happy about you. You know, saying this so explicitly because I feel that there is still quite a lot of uh, reluctance um, among men to use the ominous F word uh, to describe themselves. Um, and, and I think it's, it's also um, part of, of this overall change that um, men also get involved in, into, into feminism um, because challenging patriarchy is, is, is also about challenging patriarchy from um, within itself, probably. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, and I'm very happy if, you know, um, men choose to be a part of this um, and, and actively use the privilege that they have in order to affect change. So moving on to feminist foreign policy. Um, I do have somewhat of an idea of what feminist foreign policy is. Um, I do have that idea because um, it was peripherally a part of, of my political science studies um, that I did in undergrad together with Yanis. And also because Yanis and I, um, two weeks ago, we attended an online talk that was hosted by the Club of International Politics um, at our former university, Zeppelin University. Shout out uh, to you guys um, at that point. Um, and there, um, a speaker was invited who talked about this topic as well and who provided us with some more extensive information about feminist foreign policy. Um, I intentionally decided uh, in preparation uh, for this show, not to read up on feminist foreign policy further, because Yanis and I already both have a political science background, um, and I do not want this to be, you know, less accessible 
um, then it has to be. Like, I want it to be both accessible for political science beginners as well as for feminism beginners. Um, so yeah, um, Yanis will actually explain the topic to me as though I did not know much about it, which is true. Um, so Yanis, that said, um, before we play our first song, um, would you like to briefly explain what feminist foreign policy actually means and what you have got to do with it? Well, um, it's not an easy definition, um, to, to be fair, because there are lots of definitions of feminist foreign policy out there. Um, I will try to provide my own um, idea of feminist foreign policy, but um, I don't expect it to be to be comprehensive, and I presume that that no idea um, of feminist foreign policy can be truly comprehensive. But um, the, the general idea is to really rethink foreign foreign policy um, from a feminist standpoint. Um, so it takes in opposition to the traditional thinking of the power-based approaches of um, foreign policy and diplomacy. So um, from a patriarchal approach, um, this, this power-based approaches are about violence, about war, military, about um, deterrence for deterring people, um, and about domination and, and strength. And um, all of these ideas, um, all of these um, very complex ideas tend to forget um, the reality, the humanitarian consequences um, of violence, war, military, and so on and so forth. And feminist foreign policy really aims um, on these processes and, and really tries to um, challenge them from, from, from a standpoint of feminism and, and challenge these, these patriarchal ideas um, that power should be should fight against power and, um, and 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 stresses that actually when you do that um, you will have um, disastrous humanitarian consequences and that's what we see today that's what we see in many conflicts um, so feminist foreign policy really has two tools um, I would say it's aiming to um, include women in, in many processes it's about accessibility it's about inclusion of, of women in diplomacy and organizations, um, in, in peace processes, it's about having women on the table. Um, but it goes much further. Um, when you talk about this human-centered view that I, that I talked about, um, that you try to change a, a patriarchal um, idea of, of, of the foreign policy of military and say, well, um, we should talk more about um, the consequences, humanitarian consequences, what actually happens to the people. Um, if you use force, if you use violence, um, and that is not just about talking about about but strange talking about how big missiles are, but it's actually about um, the consequences that that those weapons, for instance, um, have. Okay, thank you very much. That sounds extremely interesting, and we're going to dig deeper into um, a lot of these issues later on, um, especially you know this distinction that you kind of opened between. The deconstructive side of things, where uh, feminist foreign policy tries to challenge um, like certain structures or certain ways of thinking that are present in the status quo, and then on the other hand, the more constructive side, like what specifically does does feminist foreign policy suggest in in terms of reforms or improvements? 
Um, maybe very briefly, um, before you announce your song, what is your connection to feminist foreign policy? Um, I'll probably have to have to um, start with the story here um, because um, I worked at the Women's uh, Mission of Liechtenstein to the United Nations, and um, when I worked there, I uh, had a meeting with um, a feminist foreign policy thinker, and um, we met with her and talked about her stance um, from a feminist perspective on nuclear weapons. And um, that was probably the um, conversation that impacted me the most to research more nuclear weapons, because that's the, the research I focus on currently most. And um, this, this idea to challenge nuclear weapons from a feminist perspective um, was really, really impressive to me. And um, since this conversation, it, it um, kind of accompanied me in my research. And um, I, I did a bit of papers on that. I, I um, went to conference to present my research on um, a, a um, feminist perspective on nuclear weapons um, to challenge the patriarchal structures around them. And um, yeah, I'm coming from a nuclear weapons perspective, really. But um, I think that, that many of the problems and many of the challenges of feminist foreign policy can be um, seen very, very well um, within the problem of, of nuclear weapons and nuclear armament and proliferation. Okay, amazing. Thank you very much. Um, the nuclear weapons aspect will also be covered more extensively in like the second half of the show. Um, but before we continue speaking, because we already, I think we already provided the listeners with quite a lot of information here, um, let's take a little break. We're going to play a song. Yanis, you brought the song into the show. Would you like to tell us uh, the name of the song, the artist, and why you chose it? So first of all, I really love Florence and the Machine. Um, and I'm currently in South London. I very, very recently um, moved to South London and... Um, this song, very, very fittingly, um, is called South London Forever. Hello, everyone. Welcome back uh, to Feminist Focus. Um, today, I am discussing the topic of feminist foreign policy together um, with my wonderful friend Yanis, uh, who is here as a guest today. Um, Janis, thank you for uh, bringing us the song South London Forever by Florence and the Machine that we hopefully just heard. I'm not sure if it worked. Um, I'm getting conflicting information from different people. Um, I do hope that you heard the song. If you did not hear the song, please listen to it. It is called South London Forever by Florence and the Machine. Um, so moving on to um, the third question and, and getting back um, to the entire topic of, of feminist foreign policy and also the fact that, you know, it is very much a concept that has its critics, um, I, I would assume, and I have had conversations with some of these critics before. So, Yanis, what would you say to people who do not acknowledge that the two topics, the topic of feminism and the topic of foreign policy, have something to do with each other? Well, I, I, think, I think they really do, and I think um, it's important to um, explain to the critics um, the, the, the two... Um, the two elements of feminist foreign policy and the two elements um, on how you can look at that um, that we that we kind of discussed before, um, but I think it's important um, in this in this conversation to get upon them more deeply because um, the first element really is 
um, women are um, more affected by war, by crises, um, and and the vulnerability is actually higher. And that has been recognized, um, for instance, by the um, UN Security Council Resolution um, 1325. And um, this resolution um, basically had little critics, um, I, I would say. Some still, um, of course, but um, it is the UN Security Council Resolution. Um, so, you know, all P5 um, or, or, or um, permanent members of the Security Council had to um, support this resolution. And um, therefore, um, the, the, the idea that women are more affected by war and, and crises, um, that actually is um, now, I would say, close to common sense. Um, to just uh, like interject uh, at one at one moment here, how exactly are women more affected by by war or by crises than men? Like, how how specifically does this look like in the real world? Mm -hmm. um, well, that all there's also um, numerous elements. Um, one of the elements um, is that the violence in war um, against civilians is, is very often um, well upon women. Um, there, there are numerous instances where um, the civilian population um, and within the civilian population, women um, were raped, were murdered um, within conflicts. And um, the other element is the one that um, in many countries, women have, um, have, have less income um, and um, less accessibility to work. Um, less accessibility to health and health insurance, um, less accessibility to, to, to other um, common goods, really. And um, that makes um, those people very, very vulnerable um, for crises and um, for feminine and so on. And, and, and that um, is a huge problem recognized um, in, in the international community mostly now, which is, which is a step forward. Um, but there's still um, a lot of work to do. And I think um, that it's not only about acknowledging women as victims, uh, but, but more about empowering them um, within the system. And I think that that can also change the narrative around power and violence. And that has very much to do with what we talked before. We talked about before about um, intersectional feminism, really. Um, intersectional feminism basically means that feminism is not only about um, gender, it's not only about women, but also about, um, for instance, violence, for instance, um, colonial and post-colonial ideas. Um, um, also about LGBTQ um, topics. And um, I think that's really important when you talk about um, the notion of feminist foreign policy, that it's not only about um, women, but also about humanitarian consequences in general, um, and about foreign policy and neoliberal policy and the impacts of that. Um, so I also I talked about I talked about um, conversations about war, military tactics, and that the focus of humanitarian consequences is is often lost. Um, there's a really interesting paper of, of Carol Cohn um, where she says. Um, white man in thighs discussing missile size. And I think that really um, <laughs> makes a point, and it was written in the 80s, um, that really makes a point, um, or the point that I want to make, because um, it usually is white man in thighs discussing missile uh, sizes rather than um, a diverse group of people um, 
discussing the humanitarian consequences of violence. And um, I think, and it's also um, a, a, a um, proposed position to the critics, um, that's something that we have to talk about. Um, why are these um, committees not more diverse? Yeah. And yeah. why do these committees not talk about um, humanitarian consequences, but more about missile size? Okay, so I think we now have established that there are basically two different, you know, avenues um, by which we can approach this topic, one being representation and the other one being just changing the focus of, of what po uh, foreign policy is, is supposed to be about, you know, um, comparing um, a more military focus um, and a more developmental, a more humanitarian focus. Um, so I was wondering, um, to, to make this a little more concrete, because it has become a bit more concrete, but it's still, you know, it's still a topic that is a little bit up in the air, I would say, and difficult to grasp. So, Janus, to what extent um, have uh, certain feminist foreign policy initiatives already been implemented? Or are there certain initiatives that are currently underway? Probably before talking about um, the, the implementation, um, I want to say that that this topic is is considerably theoretical. Um, is actually um, um, unfortunately um, one of the problems why um, probably the hesitation to implement it um, is still there. And I think um, that that we have to talk about it more um, to make it more accessible. And I hope that that this radio show um, contributes to that. Um, so has foreign policy um, been attempted to be implemented? Um, the answer is yes. Um, there are currently four countries, more or less, um, that have a proclaimed feminist foreign policy. Um, there's Sweden, um, and, and Sweden um, tries to um, encompass the three R's. Um, women's rights, um, resources um, to support these rights, um, and also um, female representation. Um, so we can see it really is about about these, as you said, representation um, angle mostly. Um, and then we can uh, look at Mexico. Mexico has feminist foreign policy development. Um, Mexico generally is, is very, very progressive when it comes to um, nuclear weapons, for example. Um, I had many good conversations with, um, with, with Mexican diplomats about about nuclear weapon issues, um, but of course um, it's it's a little difficult when you look at Mexico because um, the the struggle with um, with domestic problems, mm -hmm. um, with femicides and so on, um, really well, it's it's hard not to see um, or not, not not to have problems with that when you talk about foreign feminist foreign policy in the Mexican. Yeah, how does this how does this fit together? Because it seems contradictory at first that you know Mexico is the country with the the highest rate of of um, like murders of women because they're women, and then at the same time they're pursuing a feminist foreign policy. That's true, but I think I think that's about um, the fact that a country is probably more complex than it than it looks um, on the first grasp. Um, because in, in in the foreign ministry in Mexico there are actors. They're very progressive. They are trying to implement the feminist foreign policy, um, very heavy. Um, but in in other parts of the government, they are actors that um, do not try 
to, to, to support feminism so hard. And okay, I, I think it's really about the complexity of this country. And I think many people in the in the um, foreign ministry um, are really impressive when it comes to, to their ideas of foreign policy. Um, but, but there are obviously very, very um, big problems when it comes to feminist ideas in, in other branches of the government, police force, military and mm -hmm. so on. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, yeah, clearly, clearly no country can be understood as like a monolithic block. That would, that would simplify the situation way too much. That is true. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, yes? Yes. Um, I'll, I'll go on and, and talk about the other two countries. Um, um, maybe we should do that after the song, because okay. um, we already, you know, we gave the people a lot of information, but we can get into the other two countries after the song. Um, so yeah, um, we play another song. This time it's a song that I selected. Um, the song is called Fever. It's by Dua Lipa, um, who you probably all know, and um, Angèle. She's, um, she's a Belgian artist. She's also singing in French. And she's also um, very much of a feminist. There is, for example, a song by her that is called um, Balance ton quoi, where she essentially sends men to feminism school. I do recommend uh, I do recommend the music video. It's very funny. And um, yeah, um, this is a feature between the two artists. Um, have fun with Dua Lipa featuring Angèle uh, Fever. Welcome back, everyone, to Feminist Focus. Today we are talking about feminist foreign policy. Such a tongue twister. Um, and I am still with my guest, Janis, um, who just told us about Sweden and Mexico, which are two countries that already implement um, feminist foreign policy initiatives to a certain extent. Um, and uh, he wanted to talk um, about two other countries. Janis, please do that very briefly before we move on to your favorite topic, nuclear weapons. Yeah, thank you uh, for, for the music, um, first of all. Um, and you definitely have to send me the music video um, where men are sent to feminist um, school. I definitely will. As well. um, that's a very good, very good initiative. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about two more countries after Sweden and Mexico um, that um, aim to implement a feminist foreign policy. So there's France, and um, France is, is really trying to. Um, implement gender in all French diplomatic priorities and economic, soft diplomacy, cultural, educational, development cooperation and actions. Um, and then the idea really is to incorporate in everything. Um, but as we'll see later, that has problems. And um, also Canada is trying to implement not a feminist foreign policy in the broad sense, but more a feminist international assistance policy. Um, and I want to note that very, very um, important to, to, to consider that um, none of the current feminist foreign policies is perfect and it's very, very hard to um, get a perfect feminist foreign policy. Um, Sweden, for instance, was, was criticized for missing out on LGBTQI rights and um, is doing an arms trade with Saudi Arabia, which is not very feminist. Uh, uh, yeah, well... <laughs> Mexico, you think it's 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 kind of feminist? I, I no, this know. was this was my oh well, yeah. sad. Um, I think you know that 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 has some problems. Mexico is is still development, but has obvious problems as we talked about with the domestic implications. Um, France 
Marcos has nuclear weapons, and we will come to that topic, why that's problematic. Um, it is involved in numerous conflicts. It has a history of colonization that's um, not adequately um, thought about historically. Um, Canada is only focusing on, on international assistance policy um, and does not aim on, on the disruption of, of patriarchal power structures. So we can see um, the inclusion of women usually works considerably well um, in, in, in those countries. Um, but the disruption of the power structures um, that we talked about is considerably more complex. And, and that's where many of the attempts of feminist foreign policy struggle from um, to, to really um, have that implemented as well. So you already alluded to it uh, several times, and I did too. Um, nuclear weapons. Um, this is a topic that you have done a lot of research on, that you're also currently engaging a lot um, in your master's program that you're doing at KCL. Um, and probably a very foundational question at first, because I think this is far from, um, far from self-evident. What do nuclear weapons actually have to do with feminism, Janus? Um, I, I think it's probably best to start that um, with some um, Ray Atchison, a feminist activist, called that feminist gold. And I think that's very accurate. When um, You remember when um, we had this whole discussion about who has the bigger nuclear button, um, Donald Trump or Kim Jong-un? Oh, yeah. Um, Sadly, I do. Really about, about about size, really about bigness, really about um, the ridiculous idea of, of, of the strength and size of the nuclear arsenal, and 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 it was almost inevitably to to, to think um, about masculinity, to think about um, very you know obviously sick ideas of, of masculinity and, and problematic ideas of, of, of patriarchy um, in, in 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 that discussion. And I think that really um, gives us a point, and that really um, hits the point because it's about it's about power structures, it's about um, how are nuclear weapons conceived, and the idea that nuclear weapons bring peace is the idea that uh, many people say um, is based on deterrence. Um, deterrence basically means um, I have the power to destroy you, therefore you not you will not destroy me, um, and that does not at all take into account um, the humanitarian consequences of a nuclear weapon that we have seen, for instance, in, in, in Hiroshima, but also seen in many nuclear weapon tests and can easily simulate um, in the computer nowadays. So um, we, we know what the humanitarian consequences are and will be, but because the power structures are patriarchal, as we, as we elaborated before, um, we can't really, we don't really talk about these humanitarian consequences. And that's a problem um, because the, the, the narrative of power and the narrative of feminine masculinity um, is, is something that is hard to disrupt um, and is, is basically something that we can, can attempt to disrupt through. Okay, okay, just one critical question at this point. So this, this all kind of sounds a little bit like you know, being a feminist necessarily means that one is a pacifist, and I do not think that I would necessarily agree with that, because can someone be a feminist and at the same time, you know, believe in the logic of deterrence? Um, I think, well, I think it's, it's, it's hard to call yourself um, 
feminist in, in my understanding um, if you um, support Terence. But um, I think that is really um, a complex question because it, um, it is based upon two understandings that are very far from, um, from, from, from like overall commonly understood. Um, first, feminism, where we have lots of research, lots of, lots of different understanding. I think mm-hmm. um, if you ask 10 people what's feminism, you will get 10 different answers. Um, if you ask 10, diff- 10 different people what's terms, you will also get 10 different answers. And if they if they support it, why they support it, why not? And um, I think those complexities um, really make the case um, hard to pin down. Um, from my understanding, it's really really hard to um, believe um, that deterrence actually um, is something we should practice. That is actually something we should keep. Um, because of the humanitarian consequences, um, because nuclear weapons can be used at any time um, through miscalculation, through terrorist acquisition, um, mistakes in, in the processes. We, we had close calls in the past and um, they, can, they can happen again. And I think that we were very lucky um, not to have um, nuclear attacks um, since, your, since Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And we are very, very lucky that um, that didn't happen, uh, that no nuclear war um, has started yet. And uh, honestly, I don't want to risk that anymore. Okay. Um, Before we talk a little bit more about uh, nuclear weapons and then uh, eventually wrap this up um, with uh, a bit of an outlook um, from from Yanis's part as to what the future of uh, feminist foreign policy might look like, Um, We will play our third song, and this song is actually the German song. Um, As I mentioned before, um, I mentioned it in the last show, actually, so you could not hear it. Um, But I I said before that this show, because because I'm German, there is always going to be one German song. Um, And this time, actually, the German song is neither in German nor from an artist that is actually from Germany. Um, so there's that. But last time I actually played um, two songs by German artists, so I think we're compensating for that. The artist that we're playing now is from Switzerland, and the lyrics are in English, so it probably kind of counts, but not really. Um, Janis chose the song. Um, Janis, do you want to say um, something about the song? Yeah, if you don't know Sophie Hunger yet, um, definitely check her out. It's, um, I sing a songwriter from Switzerland. Um, who writes and sings both in English and in German. Um, and her song, She Makes President, um, can have different interpretations, but um, basically says that the female electorate is very important. And it's important for the female electorate um, to actually choose who is best for them. And that's um, that sounds um, very easy, but it's actually something um, that's probably not happening um, all over the globe. And um, I think, and many reviews said that she's criticizing that. And um, yeah, here's She Makes President. Welcome back, everyone, to Feminist Focus. Today, I am discussing feminist foreign policy with my wonderful guest, Janis. And we just talked about his favorite topic. We talked about nuclear weapons that he has done a lot of research on and is very interested in. Um, And we just generally talked about the connection between nuclear weapons um, and feminism. 
And I would also like to make this a little bit more concrete, as we did with feminist foreign policy in general. Um, so, Yanis, what specifically are concrete demands of feminist foreign policy activists uh, regarding nuclear weapons? I think first of all we can we can we can look upon a very um, recent new treaty. Um, this treaty is um, the ban treaty for nuclear weapons, which which really aims to um, prohibit nuclear weapons. Um, and it's a UN treaty. Um, this treaty has um, had a significant um, outreach to civil society, to media. Um, but also to other states and within the international community. Um, the treaty came about through um, an NGO um, called International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, where many feminists are organized um, and, and part of this organization, and was supported by a lot of feminist organizations. Um, I can name a few, the Women's National League for Peace and Freedom, for instance, um, other organizations um, within ICANN, um, Center for Feminist Foreign Policy also talked about the treaty. Um, and I think that um, this treaty really um, basically captures uh, many of the demands um, that feminist activists have. Um, the idea really is um, more or less to ban nuclear weapons. Um, that sounds um, very far-fetched, but um, the idea is to do that through international norms. So basically to say, well, nuclear weapons are now forbidden, and obviously no one expects um, the big nuclear weapons states, um, United States, Russia, and so on and so forth, um, to disarm their arsenals um, from, from uh, zero to 100, uh, just because the street is in existence. The idea is more to um, get this international norm um, to say, well, nuclear weapons are um, inhumane, nuclear weapons have so disastrous humanitarian consequences um, that we cannot um, defend nuclear weapons as a tool of um, international policy anymore, um, of foreign policy and diplomacy anymore. And um, that happened, for instance, with chemical weapons before, with biological weapons before, um, with, with uh, cluster munition before, and I think this step um, is, is, is something um, that's really satisfying for, for feminist um, activists, and um, it's a step that's also successful because this treaty um, is entering into force um, after 50 states ratified it, um, which was the case very recently. Um, it enters into force on the 22nd of January next year, um, so we, we have a new treaty, we have a new um, idea for um, nuclear governance, really, um, then, that um, is basically built upon feminist ideas as well, um, and the idea of, of humanitarian consequences being more important um, than power structures. Okay, that is actually a very positive outlook uh, towards the end of our show today. Um, because I understand that talking about things like nuclear weapons and also from your perspective as a researcher, Janis, um, to constantly have to engage with, with this topic can be a bit, um, you know, bleak, I can imagine. So, you know, it's nice to have, um, to have these silver linings um, sometimes. 
Um, while we're already at this entire discussion of future prospects, overall, just moving away from nuclear weapons and looking at feminist foreign policy in general, um, what would you say are uh, the prospects for feminist foreign policy in the future, in maybe the medium term, maybe the long term? Well, um, it's, it's certainly um, less of a prediction um, rather than than a hope, but um, I think that um, we've seen many developments in the past. We've seen the um, rise of human rights. Um, we have we've seen um, ideas of, of, of racist structures um, increasing. Of course, racist structures are still present, but um, things have become better. And um, we we've seen many developments in the in the past. Um, also LGBTQI rights um, that are still problem, um, still problem in, in many countries, but um, have generally become um, much better in the in the past um, years and 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 past decades. But um, I think that can be the case with um, this progressive policy as well, and I hope that can be the case because um, I think it has a lot of uh, potential and. Um, I think the two topics that we talked about, um, the, the integration of women and um, the challenging of patriarchy, they work together. Um, and I think it's really important uh, at the end of this show to, to stress that they work together. Um, because once you have more women, you're also um, very, um, for, for, for most of the time, have um, more feminists uh, in positions that actually matter. Mm -hmm. and. Um, once you have that, you have a um, bigger chance of actually disrupting um, patriarchy, as we talked about before. And I think that that you know this integration um, of women that we see now um, really can make a difference. Um, in my own field, nuclear weapons, um, and and I can only say that for the past few years because I'm I'm also very recent to this field. Um, I can say that. Since I started there um, until now, I can even see a substantial change of more groups trying to promote women, um, but also women of color, um, for instance, within this field, um, peace and security. And I think that, that this advancement, um, which goes really fast and really looks good on many, and many, many levels, um, can actually um, be um, be the start of, of something, um, something new, something um, that is about um, deconstructing patriarchy. Amazing. Thank you so much, Yannis. Um, I'm so happy that you joined the show today and shared your, uh, shared your expertise with us. I personally have to say that I think I learned a lot. I found this very informative and very engaging. I hope our listeners agree. Um, there will be one more edition of Feminist Focus before the term break on December 17th at the same time um, as the show aired today. I will be discussing feminism and sexism in popular culture, and I'm very excited about that because it is one of my personal favorite feminist topics. I do hope to see you again in two weeks, and uh, we will bow out of today's show um, with the song Orange Trees by Marina, simply because it's a very 
summer feely song and I think uh, in the current situation and given the fact that the sun literally sets at 4.30 p.m. in this country, uh, we need a bit of a summer feeling. Um, Janis, do you want to say goodbye? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll tune in next time and um, thanks to all the listeners. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Orange Trees by Marie.